Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, continuing our study in the life of Joseph. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, uh, got an email from a family member uh, informing us that uh, one of our nieces, who is 24 years old, has been diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Uh, apparently very treatable, uh, but it's that word. Uh, on Wednesday of this week, got a call from my sister letting us know that her husband has been diagnosed with bladder cancer. And of those that get bladder cancer, he's got the kind that only 1% get highly aggressive uh, very concerning. And through those circumstances and through uh, the experiences of many people within our own church family, uh, I think we can come to the conclusion pretty quickly that life isn't easy. Uh, life is not free from pain. And the circumstances that we face in life, the troubling circumstances that stress us, have the effect of exposing us and showing where we stand with God. They can drain our energy and leave us weak in terms of our faith, vulnerable to fear and doubt, and at times wanting to quit or be tempted to doubt. That's just reality. I love looking through a passage of Scripture that wrestles with reality, uh, that over extended seasons and through various types of circumstances allows us to walk through real life. Thankful that the... Uh, Records of scripture are historical narrative and that they're not fables. Uh, they're real stories in, in a real world where God worked. You know, the, the constant challenge that we face as Christians in all the circumstances of life is, will we be faithful? We're battered, we're bumped by life. And Paul says at the end of the day, 2 Corinthians 4, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And so this morning, as we study through this passage of Scripture in the life of Joseph, this account in the life of Joseph, the question I would like you to be asking yourself is this, will I be faithful to God in stressful seasons of life? They come to all of us. I enjoy life, but I would never be one to say that it is always easy. And so the question that kind of emerges from this passage of Scripture is, how is it that Joseph remains so faithful to God in the midst of the incredibly stressful and difficult circumstances that he is facing. As we come to the beginning of chapter 40, we, we know the background of the text is that Joseph was accused of seeking adultery with his master's wife. We know that he resisted that temptation and was falsely accused of seeking that opportunity. The result of that is that Joseph ends up in prison. That's what we find at the end of chapter 39. Coming into verse 1 of chapter 40, the text says this. It says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And so this is the setting in which Joseph is living. And into that setting, we find the introduction of Two unique men. I wanna, what I want to do is I want to make 
three observations from the text, and then I want to give three challenges from the text. Okay, so we're going to read through it in sections. We're going to look at three observations, and then we'll double back on it and arrive at three challenges that we can apply to our lives as the children of God. Would you read with me verses 1 through 4, Genesis 40? The text says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and Joseph attended or served them. So let's make three observations. First of all, this observation, believers often face discouraging circumstances. We know that Joseph in this text is finding himself in prison because of doing what is right, falsely accused and subjected to imprisonment. If you want to understand the nature of the circumstance that Joseph finds himself in, you have to go to Psalm 105, which gives you a little bit of commentary on the circumstance. Here's what it says. He sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Okay, so that helps you understand that the circumstance that Joseph found himself in was not a place of comfort. It wasn't a country club for the officials of the, of the, of the uh, government. It was a place of confinement, a place of imprisonment, and a place of incredible difficulty, unpleasant and painful at best, and all of this while doing good. The other thing I want you to notice about the discouraging circumstance that Joseph faces is the duration of it. Uh, to kind of get your hands around this, I want to give you some chronological markers that emerge in the text. If you go back to the first chapter that talks about Joseph's life in Genesis, you will find that when he's sold into slavery, he is 17 years old. When you go to chapter 41 and is brought into the house of Pharaoh, you're going to find that he is 30 years old. So you can start to do the simple math in your mind and understand that this ordeal that Joseph has been going through from being rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, rising up in the house of Potiphar, cast down into prison, has been over a period somewhere between 11 and 13 years in duration. The way that we know that it's 13 years in duration is because when we get to the end of the chapter, we're going to find that Joseph is forgotten for two years. Okay, And it's at the end of those two years that he's 30 years old and experiences a significant change in circumstance. Okay, So that gives you the chronology from the time he's sold into Egypt until he ascends to a high place is 13 years. So the circumstance is difficult. The duration is long. 13 years is a long time. So the first thing I want to say is that we as God's children, though faithful, may face and probably will face, Jesus said, difficult circumstances. That's the first observation. And the thing I would would say about this portion of the text is, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says that these accounts are written for our examples upon whom the end of the ages have come. Meaning the stories of the Old Testament patriarchs are written for us to read them and learn from them how to live for God. 
in this context, in a broken world. Verses 4 through 8. It says, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, who are they? They are the, if you want to call it the, the, the butler and the baker. They're the people that are the food testers for Pharaoh. Okay? They give him the cup of wine to drink after having tested it to be sure that it is free from contaminants so that he would not be assassinated. The baker has the burden of providing, if you want to say it this way, his desserts. Okay, so he's got a crucial job. His job is to make the king happy with the food that he brings him. Somehow in the text, and and the text doesn't give us any details, all it tells us is that they fall into disfavor with Pharaoh. So bad in terms of disfavor that they are imprisoned and put out of his sight. That's where they encounter Joseph. Now, I want you to just take note for a second and realize what God is doing in Joseph's life. He first comes into the house of Potiphar, who is a lead advisor to the king. From there, he ends up in prison. When he's in prison, he ends up serving two men who had direct access to the king. So you can, you can see a unique plan of God. It's not a straight line between two points. It's a zigzag line that has a definite ending point in the plan of God. So the observation that I would make secondly is, In this case, Joseph finds himself in prison, but now he's risen up. He's begun to experience the favor of God in the midst of the difficult circumstance. These two attendants come into his presence. And then as they're with him, after they had been in custody for some time, the end of verse 4 says, it says, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Okay? Now, this motif of dreams runs through the story of Joseph on three occasions. The first time is when Joseph experiences two cycles of dreams that he shares with his brother, which re- brothers, which results in deep hatred and desire for his death. And he gets sent to Egypt as a result of interpreting and sharing those revelations from God. Okay, so that's, that's where Joseph is as a result of dreams. Now, in the context, each of these men have a dream with a meeting of its own. Verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. Now, the, the, so one of the things that you, you learn from this is Joseph is an astute observer of people. And so when he's interacting with these two men, he notices that there is a change in demeanor. And so Joseph, because of his concern for others, not absorbed in his circumstance, not full of self-pity and wallowing, he's waiting for God. He has a word from God that is encouraging his heart, those early dreams. And so he sees these men downcast, dejected. Verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? And they respond, we both had dreams, but there is no one to interpret them. We have no access to the king's magicians who give divine interpretations of God's will and plan. That's the heart of their frustration. And for Joseph, I I wonder, I wonder in his mind, what, is it a conflict? Like I've done dreams before and it's kind of a, and how's that working out for you, Joseph? 
then Joseph would have to say, you know what? You can keep your dreams to yourself. Sorry I asked. But he doesn't because here's what you would think. You would think in, in normal Christian speak, we would say, well, God gave me this direction to go do this. And when I went and did it, I experienced difficulty. Therefore, it must not have been God. Right? Because we tend to think that difficulty is an indication of God's disapproval. And what you're going to find is the difficulty that Joseph is experiencing is working for his good and for the glory of God. And this is a struggle for us. I understand the struggle. I experience it myself. When we do good things, we expect good things to happen. Joseph has done good in interpreting a dream that God gave him. He shared the revelation and chaos and struggle and difficulty has come into his, into his life. But here's what I think you're going to find as you study through the text. Though, difficult, though believers often face difficult and discouraging circumstances, believers also demonstrate their faith in spite of circumstances. And see, folks, we are not to be driven by the winds of what's happening on any given day. We're not to be responding emotionally to the circumstances of life, but we are to know the promises of God and live them out. And I think Joseph knows and claims the promises that God has given him. One day, he will be in a place of leadership. If you say to Joe, how's it working out? I think Joe would say, it's not going real good right now. I'm gonna, if, if, if you play games like Monopoly, you know there are really bad seasons, and there are times you're all like, okay, there's a change in fortunes. Okay, And Joseph is living his life holding on to a promise from God that is making him faithful in discouraging circumstances. Do you understand that? It's a powerful truth to get. So they tell him they've had dreams. And verse 8, Joseph says this. Do not interpretations belong to God? Isn't God the director of the universe? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed. Its clusters ripened into grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. And I love the absolute confidence Joseph doesn't say, hey, let me take a shot at that. <laughs> and, and understand this, folks. The magicians of Pharaoh were schooled in how to get a good outcome out of no, ma- out of no matter what Pharaoh said. And that, that's a motif that will come up later in the story. If you can't come up with a good interpretation of the, interpretation of the dream, say, I'm drawing a blank. Okay, and what does Joseph do? Joseph boldly steps forward and says, well, here's what it means. The three branches are three days. And this is bold now. Listen to this. He sets a chronological time for the fulfillment of the plan of God as revealed to him. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to to your position. And you will put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Now, what is Joseph doing? Joseph is giving him inordinate details so that as it happens in his mind, That cupbearer will see God at work. You will put the cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were the cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me. 
and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. In difficulty with a long extended season. Now, is that a complaint from Joseph? It's not how I read it. I read it as, as Joseph seeing a divine opportunity, a divine appointment. And Joseph expresses a desire of his heart out of innocence. Because he realized that he wasn't in the prison by mistake. And he realized that he wasn't talking to the king's life protector by mistake. And when the opportunity comes up, he seizes it to do the will of God. After hearing this beautiful interpretation of the butler's dream, the chief baker, when he saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head off and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat your flesh. Wow. That takes courage. Verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. And isn't that interesting? Would Joseph know that? I love that. Within three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of his chief cupbearer and chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position that he might once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. There's the key phrase. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. The New Living Translation says he never gave him another thought, at least not for two years. And so we face discouraging circumstances. That's what Joseph faces. We demonstrate our faith in God in spite of the circumstances that we face. We seize the opportunities that God gives. And then lastly, the fruit of faithful living, the blessings of obedience are often delayed. Okay, and I think this is probably one of the greatest struggles we face as Christians. We get it on a good path with God. We're walking in obedience. We're doing his will. We're resisting temptation to the best of our God-given ability, seeking to walk in sensitivity to the Spirit, and the wheels fall off. And Joseph has to be thinking, this, this was an incredible opportunity. God brought two men into my presence. I was able to speak to the man who gives the cup to Pharaoh as he eats and drinks. Surely good is coming. But as you study through the text, you're going to find that for two years, he never comes to the mind of the butler. Every time he puts the cup into the hand of Pharaoh, he should be thinking, Joseph, Joseph. But it never comes to mind. And the lesson and the tension of the text is that the hope that we have as believers may often be deferred. But in the midst of the deference of blessing, what's happening? Joseph had to sit back in the dungeon and say, God did exactly what he said he would do with the butler and the baker. 
And what was it? It was just along the way, an affirmation from God, Joseph, I'm with you. I'm in control. Don't doubt. Don't be discouraged. Stay true. And I will bless you. So here's the question I want you to think about. If you're Joseph sitting in prison, after having done good, preserved respect for your master, falsely accused, hated by your brothers, wished dead, and you stay true to God and you find yourself in a dungeon, how do you resist discouragement? How do you maintain the faithfulness that Paul said is required of God's people? How do you do that? I just want to give you three suggestions as to how we maintain faithfulness in discouraging circumstances as the people of God who have his promises. He has our back. He's seeking to direct and work in and through our lives. But I face discouraging times. I get phone calls that cause me to say, oh, God, that breaks my heart. That makes me sad. It makes me doubt. It, it, how, do I, how do I work through that real circumstance of life? Maintain my integrity and my faithfulness in the struggle, in the trials, and in the suffering. I'll just give you three suggestions. Number one is this. Trust God to work through circumstances that you would never choose. Trust him. Because the truth is God will often put you into positions that you would never choose on your own. He works in ways that we would say biblically are truly mysterious and sometimes troublesome. For Joseph, there was hatred, and they meant to do him harm, literally to eliminate him. For Potiphar's wife, she meant to use Joseph, and when he wouldn't be used, she falsely accused and intended to punish him in prison. And with the butler, what happens? He gives him a beautiful dream interpretation and is forgotten completely. This has causes me to, to, to make this observation, okay? Trust God to work in circumstances that you would never choose. But at the same time, don't jump to conclusions about the circumstances that you find yourself in today. This is bad. This is good. You understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to knee-jerk respond to things. Something comes up, it's negative. We're praying for God to get rid of it, to take it away, to eliminate it. When we should be saying, God, what is it that you want to do through this circumstance that your providence has allowed to come into my life? What are you saying to me? What do you want to change in me? How do you want to work through the circumstances? Don't be so quick to jump to conclusions about what's good and what's bad. I fear that we often want God to deliver us from circumstances more than we want him to work through them. And if Joseph simply wanted deliverance, he would have never seen the hand of God work in such amazing and beautiful ways. So I encourage you to to strengthen your heart with promises like Romans 8 that we say is cliche, but in this context, it's reality. God works all things together for good. All things. Even discouraging circumstances. God uses for our good. The truth of this text is that Joseph is ascending in an indiscernible way. Does that make sense? God is the master planner. And he is at work in the most, if you, seriously, if you look back at Joseph's life, you're like, oh, 
okay, I see this, and that was painful, but that led to this. And this was painful, but it led to this. And this was horrific, but it led to this. Be careful what you call bad. Because God may be working it for good that will cause you to say, wow. Okay? Be very careful. Because God may be working to raise you up in a way that to you is indiscernible. But he is working for your good and for his glory. And not because it's all enjoyable, because it's not. The suffering of Christ was not enjoyable. But the Bible does say in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you see? So don't, don't be so quick to label things. Let God label things over time to show you that he is good and working for his glory. So I ask you this, this, this question this morning. What circumstance, like Joseph sitting in a dungeon, what circumstance are you in that is making you want to quit? What circumstance is becoming overwhelmingly discouraging and faith-killing and doubt-inducing? Okay, that's the kind of question we have to ask ourselves. God will work through circumstances that you would never choose to bring you to places you will never believe. And if in the breaking, he has your attention, he has your affection, and you experience his love, that is good. And that is for his glory. The second lesson I think that emerges from this text is if I'm going to defeat discouragement and fight off doubt that makes me want to quit, then I'm going to, need to, I'm going to have to learn to trust God in seasons of delay. And I, I think that the one thing as you read through this story, because it's condensed into four or five chapters, this portion of it, but it covers a period of 13 years, it's easy to read through it and say, okay, that, that probably wasn't that bad. Because I just read through it in five, ten minutes. What's Joseph so worried about? But the truth is it, it covers a span of time. Folks, I want you to think about something. Now, as you get older, these periods of time seem shorter. But if you're 17 years old, 13 years, right, Michaela? 13 years is a long time, right? Okay? And what Joseph's going through is over half his life. And his life hasn't worked out so well. And so in those seasons of waiting and waiting and waiting, we're tempted to doubt. And what Joseph does is he presses in with God in the midst of this 11-year window. What is he doing? He is faithfully being the servant of God, interpreting dreams for people to come into his presence when it isn't working out for him. But he's faithful to God. So what is it that God is calling you to do that your circumstances causing you to not want to do that he wants you to do so that he will be glorified and his children will find joy? What is it? What's the circumstance? What is the issue that you have been avoiding? 13 years is a long time. But for 13 years, Joseph hung on to the promise. What was the promise? Your brothers will bow before you. That promise is so etched in the heart of Joseph that it, 
it, it, it is the voice of God in Joseph's heart for that season. And he just hangs on to it. He doesn't understand exactly what it means. He doesn't understand how glorious the outcome of it will be, how unimaginable, he, and, and how he has, in total discretion, ascended to such a place. You know, Dr. Seuss has a book out called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Right? Almost unforgettable. But isn't that true with God? The, the places he will take you when you walk in faith, when you don't allow discouragement to cause you to doubt and be discouraged, when you grasp God-given opportunities, even when they are difficult, and say, God, I am laying hold of this because I trust you. I am receiving this and surrendering to this only because I trust you, not because I believe it to be good, because I can't see it, but I know you are. Okay, let that conviction in, in the midst of your service, let it settle in. And I'm looking at you in your circumstance with your dear wife, and I'm thinking, how do I, how do I lay hold of God and trust him in a circumstance I would never choose? But that's where I am. And I know for many of you sitting here, there are circumstances in your life, you have a hard time even talking about them. My sister is facing a circumstance that is incredibly difficult. It causes fear. Trust God in seasons of delay. And I believe, honestly, this is the cause of the acuteness of our struggle. We hate delays. I am, if you ask my wife, what's your husband's Achilles heel? She'll say, he is so unbelievably impatient. And I am. I hate delay. I hate delay in every area of life. I just want things to happen and get done. Now, what's really awesome, because Joseph responded in this way, here's the way that Psalm 105 will later capture the waiting of Joseph in delay. Listen to what it says. They bruised his feet in shackles. The neck was put in irons till what was foretold by him came to pass. Till the word of the Lord proved him to be true. I love that. He, he was placed in shackles until what he had dreamed previously about ascending to a place of royalty came to pass. And guess what? He had no control over the fulfillment of that. That was all in the hands of a sovereign God who was in the delay working, as we have sung recently, in Joseph's waiting for Joseph's good and for God's glory. So that at the end of the day, Joseph would find himself in an unimaginably beautiful place, giving glory to God. Not proclaiming his faithfulness, but proclaiming God's faithfulness in that circumstance. So I encourage you this morning, trust God in the seasons of delay and realize that the seasons of delay can cause us to compromise on convictions, to cut corners, to feel entitled, to feel like we deserve a break. Trust God in your delay. Trust God in your waiting. His timing is perfect. And as my pastor used to say, God is seldom early, but he is never late. I can't say that about myself. We're quick to seek relief more than we seek the glory of God.
And I think sometimes we just got to sit back and say, God, I am so self-centered in my orientation that I wrestle with wanting your glory, but I love when you get it because I'm your child. But I seek the relief more passionately than I seek your glory. And that's a problem. Because what that, that reverses the gospel, doesn't it? What it says is, I've been good, I deserve blessings. That's not grace. That's merit. The last lesson I want to share with you this morning is this. Trust God, not people. You're one of them, okay? <laughs> and so am I. So am I. People can be brutal. I mean, there wouldn't be news if it wasn't for people. You understand that, right? And I, I think, I mean, the, the, the thrust of the story is Joseph blesses these men with an interpretation at risk. And the one is so beautifully blessed and completely forgets. He completely forgets the one who appealed for a hearing. In my notes, I put this, people disappoint, Jesus never fails. Don't trust in butlers. Don't trust in circumstances. Don't trust in your connections. I've learned that the hard way. They will fail you. Jesus never fails. He never fails. The manifestation of God's faithfulness and goodness in Joseph's life, his trust in God is I want to say it's stirred and encouraged by God himself. If you go back to chapter 39, after Joseph is put in prison, after having been lied about, when he's in prison, here's what it says, verse 21 of chapter 39. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness. That's hesed, that's mercy, grace, and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those in the prison. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And folks, and I think Joseph is thinking to himself as he's working through these work responsibilities while in a dungeon, I think he's thinking to himself, I'm not that good. Like I'm just, I'm not. But what is, the, what is the warden of the prison seeing? He's seeing the hand of God in Joseph's life. He's seeing the favor of God in the decision-making of Joseph. He's captivating in his decision-making. And Joseph's just constantly saying, I, I never learned to do this. I, and, and you can imagine in his mind as he's processing the unbelievable at nature and aspect of the circumstances, he's thinking, that's God. And he's experiencing this love of God and favor of God. And it is affirming and assuring his heart so that in the difficulty, he's not failing in faith. He's growing in faith. And the discouraging circumstances aren't discouraging to someone who trusts in God. They're very disgusting or discouraging to those who trust in people. You know, the psalmist would say this, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Folks, the only thing that will draw you through difficult circumstances is not truth itself. It's the relationship that binds you to the one who is true. If you don't have a walk with God and trouble comes, you will find yourself devastated. But if you're walking with God when it comes, you will be tempted to be discouraged. Absolutely. But it will not overtake you. His love is unvoidable. That's what Romans 8 is saying. 
What can separate us from God's love? Nothing. Joseph says prison can't. False accusation of adultery can't. Murder can't. He's trusting. Not people. He's trusting God. And I, I hope that this part settles into our hearts. I hope that we will, in our circumstances, in all of them, remain faithful by clinging to God, by honing that relationship and growing that relationship so that we will begin to experience the remarkable faithfulness of God and see in the outcome of our lives a remarkable faithfulness. You see, here's the thing about Joseph's life to me that is amazing. As you read through the story, and it's one of the rare incidences in the Old Testament where you can read through the story of an individual and see no sin. None. Now, does that mean Joseph was sinless? No, he needed the favor of God. But as you read the story, God holds Joseph up as an example of a man who lived for the glory of God in the most discouraging of circumstances. He remained faithful. That should give me hope. Because here's the truth. Tim Hoff has endured struggles. But some of you are probably thinking, and rightfully so. Please understand how I say this. I haven't faced anything like, like what Ed's facing or what Russ is. I haven't. I haven't lost a parent. Okay, so I understand how if you're listening to me, you say, well, he kind of understands because he's gone through it with people, but he doesn't know it empathetically. He only knows it sympathetically. And that's true. But the stories are recorded so we know people who know it empathetically. And Joseph knew what it meant to struggle. But he knew what it was to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And he clings to that and holds to that. The thing you need to remember that God is faithful when you were forgotten. This relationship with God enabled Joseph to remain faithful and it will do the same for you. On uh, Friday, my sister sent me the cover of a notebook that will serve as the uh, folder for her husband's medical data, bills and all the things. She uh, obviously is aware of how daunting that task will be. On the front of that notebook, as their confession of faith, are these words. Fear not, for I am with you. And folks, I want you to listen to this text from the perspective of relationship with God. This is not data. This is relationship. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will help you. And I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. The key to this promise is not that God removes the struggle, but that he's with you. Folks, Joseph suffers for 13 years. That's a long time. But he remains unmoved. Because he's trusting in God and not in people. And so Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 aptly says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. I'm in prison. I'm in this circumstance. I have this diagnosis. Don't trust yourself. In all your ways, look to him, and he'll tell you where you should go. In every circumstance, 
that threatens to discourage and destroy your faith and bring doubt. It makes you want to quit. Trust God and do his will. Folks, I, remember, I always remember the words of Jesus in the garden prior to the crucifixion as he wrestled with the will of his father. He said, Father, I don't want to do this. There, is there any other way? No. No. And what is the response of Jesus? He clings to his relationship with Father and says, not my will, not what I want, but what you want. Folks, that needs to be the heart of a trusting believer who remains faithful in all things before God. May God help us today. To whatever it is in your life that's discouraging you, look at it through your relationship with God. Trust him to work for your good and for his glory. Even in the things that the enemy means for evil, he's working for our good. And the question is, will you trust him? The apostle Paul put it this way in Acts 27. This is when he's, remember when he's on the ship and the ship is about to sink and there's prisoners on board of which he is one. And finally it comes down to the man of God, the only unshaken person on the ship. Everybody is frantic, throwing things overboard. And Paul's like, hey, God has given me information on this circumstance. We're not going down. So relax. But here's, here's the context in which he talks about the speaking of God in his life. He says, last night, an angel of God, listen to this, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Whose I am, I belong to God, and I serve him stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. And folks, I think the key to that sentence is the same key for Joseph's heart. God, whose I am and whom I serve. I am in a relationship with him. I serve him out of a relationship of trust in all things. May God help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. That is a beautiful reminder of your faithfulness, and of our struggles. Father, thank you that your word is true and real. Thank you that it does not minimize our struggles, for at times they are long and hard. May the confession of our heart be, God, I trust you. And may the result of that confession be, it is well with my soul. Not necessarily with my circumstances. But with my soul secured by God, it is well. God, let this be our hearts today, I pray. In the beautiful and glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.